0: All right, Stampede podcast, as usual, coming to you a little bit later after the call. but uh, Tito Vanach usual. And Dakota Wilson. And uh, plenty of news to talk about on the USF football front, as usual. Uh, we'll talk about the game against Tulsa, uh, break that down into quite, for quite some time. We'll also talk the uh, indoor practice facility that was announced by USF last week. And we'll also uh, cover some of the latest news in recruiting. Uh, Obviously, some news happening there with USF. But uh, most importantly, Bulls come away with another win this week. Uh, We shouldn't be talking about this game as much as we are going to talk about this game. But unfortunately, another unconvincing win for USF. Uh, Bulls come away with a 27-20 win in which they went into the first half with 24 points and scored three points the entire rest of the game. And at this point, we're beating a dead horse because we continue to kind of uh, get upset about the status of the offense. We thought maybe it was kind of coming together at that UConn performance. It really, it seemed like Quentin finally kind of found a groove there in his passing game, uh, You know, putting up 34 points, pretty bad defense. And then USF comes out against Tulsa down 27, get the win on the back of the defense once again, and it comes down. I mean, look, look I'm going to be honest. If Tulsa was a good team in the slightest, USF might have lost that game. That I think that's my real opinion on this, and we're going to get into it more. But if USF didn't have a much improved defense, that could have easily been a Tulsa win. You know, luckily, Tulsa is so incompetent that, you know, their offense still tries to do a two QB system, and they had numerous attempts to uh, to possibly tie the game, and they couldn't do it. Uh, Dakota, I, I don't know about you, but, I mean, I, I mean, I keep saying this, but it, it really feels like this coaching staff is really refusing to adjust.
1: I'll take it even a step farther than that, Tito, from Tulsa being a better team. I think if their starting QB didn't get hurt, we lose that game.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's a good point, too, because there was a significant amount of time that he missed with Chad President in there. And Chad President is like, he's like Chad Pennington, except he has a worse arm, which is hard to imagine. I mean, it, it, it goes to say something that this USF defense held its ground for this long. But the the offensive issues continue to be a thing. And I'm going to be first to say this. Obviously, Quentin Flowers did not have his best game. He missed major throws that could have changed the, the game. He had one in the first quarter to Mitchell Wilcox that he completely airmailed. He had another one to Wilcox that he missed. And then towards that third quarter-ish, it really got unraveled where his accuracy really stood out. But we're we're continuing to ignore something here, which is everyone knows Quentin Flowers' best skill is to run the football. I mean, it, it, it hasn't been stated enough, and if you don't know it by now, something's wrong. And this staff, for whatever reason, and maybe by design or by, by just the understanding of how they scheme, continues to try to force him to be a pass-first guy, which just, it's, I don't think it's his thing. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I keep trying to give this staff the benefit of the doubt, but they are really trying to force a circle into a square hole here.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. If you look at Quentin's stats this year, I mean, I think he was completing almost 60% of his passes last year. Uh, but this year he's only completing fifty three point three percent, and this ga- last game he went eleven for twenty eight.
0: Yeah, and, and and it's it goes to say something that Quentin Flowers' production has dropped sin- significantly from last season. He's got twenty six, he got seventeen touchdowns to five interceptions, and look, like like I said, I think you know, yeah, he missed a significant amount of throws during that game, and it, th- the reality is, is, if he makes those throws and to to his defense as well, Marquez Valdez Scantling continues to be uh, injured with drops. I mean, he he dropped I think three passes that could have given Quentin some momentum moving down the field. Uh, but th- this staff, when you look at some of the things that they're trying to do, and and here's my best example of this. So uh, last week against UConn, USF threw to the tight threw to the tight end for a touchdown against Mitchell Wilcox, and we said on this podcast. That the linebacker were so shocked that the running that the tight end caught a pass in the end zone, they had no idea what to do. This week it was something different. It was instead of getting the running backs involved early on in the game through the passing game, Quinton decides to drop one off to Dearness Johnson. I think it was somewhere around the second quarter. He just just a quick dump off pass. He he made he went through his progressions and drops it off to the running back. Dearness Johnson goes for at least 20 yards. And we don't see that play again. You don't see that play again throughout the entire game. And I I just don't understand it. I don't understand how the staff can, can get so diverse on a play call and then go right back to their game plan and try to shove it down the other team's throat yeah it almost
1: reminds me like uh, the stubbornness of it of when Willie was trying to run that power the first couple of years that he got here, we finally uh, they finally like the light flicked on in his head, like, oh crap, I got some athletes on this team. I should probably spread the ball around.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that that this staff is they, they kind of wanted to try that power run game thing, and we've seen this before. We've seen that this does not work with this stat with this, these players. To, to be quite honest, though, if, if you're looking at this offense. And you 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 just take Quentin Flowers, and I think even the announcers were saying it. I don't know if you met, maybe heard this Dakota, but they kept saying that something was missing with this offense, and something didn't feel as right with Quentin Flowers. And I feel like Willie did such a great job of using Flowers' legs to set up the pass versus they're trying to use Flowers' arm to set up the run, and it just doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, and like I just really don't get the um. Why they're so gung ho about really like implementing the entire offensive scheme this year? When you have so many guys who did so well last year in that read option, that more of a read option uh, scheme, and they just excelled. They had one of the best offenses in the country, putting up like some of the most points in the country. And then you just like you have so many seniors and upperclassmen that are familiar with that system and performing exceptional in that system. Why do you have to change it right now? Why not wait maybe until? next year when you have your are the quarterback's gone. Like you have to redo the offense anyway, kinda. Of.
0: Exactly. And and that's the point that I think is missing in all this is that they're doing this a year early, if anything. I mean, Flowers' ability to run shouldn't be underutilized. If anything, it should be overutilized. This is his senior season and you've put a leash on him and his ability to really affect the game with his legs and that's one of that's his best skill. I can't state it enough. It's his best skill. So so here's how I know. Here's here's a a great description, right? I you rewatch the game and the entire third quarter, USF spent it. USF's offense spent it on Memphis's side of the field. They came away with three points the entire game. The entire third quarter USF was on Memphis' side of the field and they couldn't punch it in.
1: You mean Tulsa? Yeah,
0: uh, sorry, yeah, on on Tulsa's side of the field. And they Put it in, and it, it's it's baffling.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know how you go and put twenty one points up in the first quarter, and then you put up six points the rest of the game. And like you said, it's not like Tulsa. Like their rushing attack. Yeah, their rushing attack is good, but yeah. Tulsa's defense. I'm pretty sure last time I checked is among some of, one of
0: the worst in football. Hundred. It was a hundred and twenty eighth rushing defense after the USF game, and, and you put. Oh my, man, and it's. It doesn't make sense. I mean, the way the game started, we were you got you got so much confidence that this team was about to route them, and that would have given this team a lot of confidence heading into this UCF game. Now, I I really I worry about not only just the game, I worry about this team's confidence entering that game. UCF is riding a real wave of momentum right now. They're beating teams, <laughs> down. and you know I, I tweeted this. And it was, it was obviously UCF played Temple this past week. But UCF forced a number of turnovers, just like USF did against Temple. And their offense converted those points into turnovers. USF doesn't have an offense that can do that right now. And it's truly concerning because when you're going to play a team like UCF that doesn't turn the ball over much, and a credit to, to Mackenzie Milton, yeah, UCF is number one in turnover margin. They're number one tied with UM and they're putting up the most
1: points per game in the country. I think.
0: Yeah. So the you know, this is, this is going to be a, a clash. I, I mean, I'm still excited to kind of see what USF defense can, can uh, how they fare against a real offense. Because if we're going to be honest, this is by far the best team USF is going to play all season and the best offense they're going to face all season. Yeah. They're not slouches and they're
1: not slouches defensively either. And like, Like we were going off of like against Tulsa, we couldn't make our season average in rushing yards or I think total offense either against Tulsa. And how what are we what are we supposed to expect going into this week now?
0: Yeah, and it's it's it just goes to show that, and and I hate saying this because how am I going to say that a nine and one team right now is failing? But this team in in several aspects, just not just wins and losses. And this is going to sound crazy. This team has failed to meet expectations in certain areas. The, 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 you know, capability, of the offense, the explosive offense, it's not nearly the same. The, the ability to spread teams out, not nearly the same. And, and the ability to, to really beat teams down as well, which this, this goes back to Charlie, because we, we said in the previous podcast that, you know, he takes the foot off the wheel, but I don't, I, I just i this team i this team's identity has completely changed and, and this is a big point to me dakota what do you think was the biggest i like characteristic about last year's team and obviously that is with marlon mack and Rodney adams in it but what was the main thing you could point about last year's team on offense what was the main thing they had
1: they're explosive and they weren't af- afraid to step on people's throats you look at referring again, once again, back to the Tulsa game, I think Tulsa turned it over. We had it on their 30-yard line. We couldn't punch it in for a touchdown.
0: Yeah, and, and that includes uh, an errant throw from Flowers that he shouldn't have made, obviously. If you look on that play, uh, Dearness Johnson looks a little bit open. But it's, to, to me, it's like this staff decided to take this team and make it from, all right, we're all speed, to, all right, let's make this team as power as possible. And then we'll make speed secondary. You and you can't do that. You cannot do that. That's like a that's literally a Big 12 mentality. That is it, like, It's almost a Big Ten. They're trying to like yeah. make
1: it into like a Big Ten offense. Yeah, I don't I don't get it.
0: And and, and look, we're complaining about a win, but if, if this team wants to accomplish what it really should accomplish, which is a conference championship, there has to be several changes made to the way that this team has been playing. I, I cannot, and this is me speaking honestly. Unless there are several changes, there is no shot I can see this team beating UCF. No shot. It's just, it's like it's like UCF is playing the way USF should be playing, which is crazy to sound. But they're playing with their speed. They're using their athletes in space. And this team, rather than doing that, they continue to try to just punch it down the hole. Beat you right up the middle. No, let's not get... And, and it's crazy because the first couple plays we felt like the, the, the Tulsa game we felt like the offense was getting back to what it should be so it, it just it it concerns me I I don't I I can't really speak with confidence that I think USF is going to be able to stay with week but I mean Dakota maybe you can you can find some more confidence than me because I can't
1: <laughs> I mean yeah it's you know it 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 hurts my heart to say but I like you said I don't see Nothing from okay after the UConn game when they switched up the offense a little bit they started throwing in some razzle dazzle and all that stuff I was like all right yeah we could probably we can compete we we still got a chance to win but after this last game and it's just yeah it just hurts to say but the, the coaching staff hasn't given me any reason to get behind them really and believe that they can come go up to Orlando in that environment and win that game they spent like I don't know like even listening to Charlie talk afterwards like i don't know if he really knows how big of a game this is and that kind of sounds crazy because obviously he coached at texas he coached at louisville but i don't know if he necessarily like takes the rivalry seriously enough to what it should be especially what's on the line for this game yeah that's just kind of what i got from the post game and everything
0: no and you're 100 percent right because you know ucf usf is a big deal it, they compete for the exact same recruits uh, Kenneth Horsey is an example of that. Patrick Jolly is an example of that. There's a number of kids who who are talking with both USF and UCF, so he kind of has to put an importance on this game, and the the implications are huge. I mean, yeah, if USF wins their this game, they are in the conference championship, something they haven't been able to do in their entire time being a Division One program. So, I, I mean, I, I don't want to put a prediction on it just because I I don't I, I don't see a way that. You can actually predict USF coming off the W. But I, I leave hope in the sense that, you know, with a guy like Clinton Flowers at quarterback, if they let the leash go and let him play the way he, he's comfortable playing, this team could actually do something. And it, we, we've failed to see that yet. We, we continue to see this offensive coordinator, Sterling Gilbert, and I, and I get it, one season – this could change next season, but at this point, I feel like what you got what you got is what you got. Like he's not holding back. He wouldn't why would you hold back to win by seven against Tulsa? And it's it's weird amount. This is my last point on this. The the announcer said that he didn't allow players to look forward to next week, but he did allow coaches to begin scheming for UCF already. Why? For what reason? Just take it week by week.
1: Yeah yeah I I totally agree on that. I I didn't actually didn't even catch that he said that, but if if that's true, that's pretty surprising that he even allow that.
0: Yeah. So that that basically covers the game. I mean, there's really nothing else we could say. Uh the defense like mentioned played incredible. Um it it goes they, I, I don't remember exactly how many times we sacked Tulsa, but this defensive line I I to be quite honest entering this year I was still concerned about how good the defensive line will be but with the way that they've played this year they're they're one of the top 10 teams in the country in sacks and it's crazy to think that we all thought last year that the reason USF wasn't able to to kill teams was because their defensive line was just was not of up to par
1: yeah they uh we sacked Tulsa like 5 times I believe and I I'm with you too on that. I, I never saw the defensive line. I didn't think the defensive line was going to take as big of a turnaround as they have, and it's really surprising. And one one other thing though that I want to say about the UCF game that kind of that maybe will shine a little glimmer of hope into some people is I think it was the game in 2013 when we had our worst season in in school history. And we went up to Orlando, and the Knights only beat us by, I believe, what three points in overtime.
0: Yes, Blake,
1: uh, Blake Bortles is the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They had all. They that was the year they won the Fiesta Bowl, and that was our worst team. And we still battled within three points. So, I, I, my hope is in the players showing up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the coaching staff really. I don't, I don't know if I believe in them just yet for this game, but I I just hope the players. Can show up, and we do have Quentin Flowers, who's the biggest X factor in
0: the yeah. game. And and I, I know that Quentin, like we said, has been kind of held back from what he's usually doing. But a guy like him can change the game. And I'm not—I from what we've seen that kid do, it would be silly to count him out. You know, he's a gamer, but it—it's going to take a serious coaching effort and player effort to see this team be this year. Um, uh, to to make move it move on to the subject. Uh, the indoor practice facility was announced, which was a pretty big deal because this is what, uh, USF fans kind of been, I don't want to say, it was eventually going to happen and it needed to happen for a lot of reasons. Um, first and foremost, you play in Florida, uh, Florida has rainy weather a lot. And I think that this helps because it just, uh, from a a, ability to practice standpoint, I, I specifically remember a couple media members in the spring was there progress on announcing it into a practice facility, And then even Charlie strong admitted that, uh, there's no word on it yet are working towards it. The announcement, uh, it's about $40 million to happen. If I remember correctly, that's the number that they put on it. And to be honest, I I think that that's a generous number, to be honest. I, I think, for, to see what some other programs are putting into a practice facility, like the University of Miami, to, to see the University of Florida's, that's a pretty generous number for an indoor practice facility. Yeah,
1: feeling on the indoor practice facility is that I've lived in Tampa for 20 years now, and we're the lightning capital of the Western Hemisphere, I'm pretty sure. And I can't believe the Bucks just got one, too. It's like, that, how many practices... Have been canceled or affected by lightning or by inclement weather, like a numerous.
0: Right, right. And and that this is just this is just one reason. The biggest reason of them all that this practice facility is necessary is recruiting. I mean, like kids love that. I I and I, it sounds silly because an indoor practice facility does not have any bearing on how the team actually plays. But you you, you cannot sit here in this age of recruiting and act like an indoor practice facility and very, very good facilities do not play a part in recruiting. You can ask the university of Tennessee. You can ask the university of Alabama. You can even ask university of central Florida. They're installing a, what is it? A, a lazy river for yeah, team.
1: And or whatever.
0: And, and the as, as silly as it sounds, because that's a silly ass idea. That is, that is as silly as you can get. Kids are into that. Like that, plays a part into recruiting.
1: Yeah, I, I think the lazy river is a little silly, but like you said, the kids are into all the bells and whistles. So the bigger, the better, the more stuff you can put due to it, the more likely you are to land some more heralded recruits.
0: Yeah, and, and it's crazy to think that, like, if you looked at uh, some of the comments on Facebook and whatnot, uh, after the announcement of this stadium, that people were actually upset that, Th- that uh, indoor practice facility is coming before the stadium. And I, I really can't understand that logic by any any means. Like that is the most backsided backwards logic I've ever heard in my life. Uh, fortunately, I didn't meet anybody who actually said that because I, I, I can't understand it for the life of me. Like this should be a positive announcement for USF. This should be like, wow, USF is actually committing to their athletic football program in a serious fashion. And Dakota and I have, you, we've had this conversation that there have been times where we kind of questioned whether USF really values its athletics that seriously. And this came out, I think, what, like maybe a couple de- a day after we had that discussion. And it, it should be a positive announcement that they actually are really investing into this, uh, this this athletic program. It's gonna take a lot of money, and I don't, I don't, I'm I'm interested to see from from who, but. I, this is supposed to be a positive thing, and I, I can't imagine how somebody could be upset that this is coming for the stadium.
1: It's absolutely a positive announcement. Like we were just talking about, uh, practices are the, one of the more important things, or the most important thing, leading up to games. And if you can't practice for any reason, then your game plan is going to have some holes in it. And I don't think if you if you really think. That an indoor practice facility is less important, or if you're whining about spending the money on the stadium or whatever, then I don't know how much you really know about college football and recruiting.
0: Exactly. Like, like th- let's let's just be let's be honest here. When do you, I think a stadium will not come to USF? Sheesh. I think at, not by 2020, 2022, maybe. I, would, I think I'm being generous. At that. When do you think a stadium is like a feasible idea could be actually starting to be built? To be built. So once they made
1: the announcement for the I for the IPF, I kind of got the sense that it's going to be at least 5 years before they even announce like anything or like shovels in the ground or anything. Yeah. Because that's so $40 million, that's on the more expensive I I mean, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure that's on the more expensive sides of indoor practice facilities anyway. Like that's a good chunk of change. I don't know how much money other money are going sh- they're going to shell out. To build that in uh, the on campus stadium, especially the one they released the models of well, it cost like what two hundred and fifty million dollars we're going to need some huge donations and I think this is a good barometer of seeing how invested the donors are at USF and how willing they are to make USF football big time
0: yeah and, and it, it, it it's a real test for this for this program I, I, I unfortunately, fortunately, the bulls have some pros that may be able to chip in. You know, get their name in a, in, a, in, a, in a one of those study rooms that they have and whatnot. But it, if you look at it like Clemson, Clemson's indoor practice facility was fifty five million and it's eighty thousand square feet. You look at Colorado's; they they had a whole rebranding of their athletic facility and that cost a hundred and fifty six million dollars. So it, it I, I get that USF is kind of breaking the bank here, but at the same time. You Look at the grand scheme, and those are power five schools. Those schools get a lot more money than USF, but it for USF, this is a big commitment. It's encouraging to see. Um, and I'm interested to see how the money comes actually. I, I, I want to see uh, who steps up to the plate. Do the donors step up? Do the alumni step up and make contributions? That's going to be big,
1: yeah. With uh, those, are power five schools, but I also think USF, like. USF has a really large alumni base, I'm pretty sure. like, So we should be able to to fundraise money, and it shouldn't really be as big of a problem as it is. I just don't I, – I feel like that big three complex just is even – just because the program – again, it's 21 years old. It's not brand new, but it's still kind of new. I know several of my friends' parents that went to USF, and they root for – They did, we didn't have a football team. They root for UF. They root for FSU. Well, I gripe at them, whatever. But that—that's a huge problem with USF is that like some some of the donors I don't even are the alumni I don't even know how willing they would be to donate and it yeah. sucks. Hey,
0: I mean, and just to not to put a damper on things, but the turnout for that senior day class was god awful. That was it was atrocious. It was embarrassing, and and you cannot point to oh it's a Thursday game, oh it's against Tulsa who's not good like. Wh- u s f was lucky to have that group of seniors because they actually invested and turned this program around from where it was going and to see that type of turnout i think the 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 actual number that Joey announced was seventeen thousand that's terrible that's just terrible for a team that's eight and one you know it's it's just unacceptable, but there's nothing you can really control about that uh as far as the indoor practice facility and the stadium goes. Look, it's an encouraging sign. It was great to hear. Uh, I, I think it's a major move to program to kind of uh, really step up in terms of the recruiting aspect in the state. Uh, but So hopefully it, it kind of uh, gets the funding that it needs to. But I, I don't think they – they didn't even put a timetable on for when it would happen. It's based on funding, correct?
1: Yeah, it is. But I've been hearing – I don't know how true it is, but I've been hearing from some uh, – Some people that I know that there there there's some other gifts that they haven't announced yet, but I don't know whether like I can't confirm if that's true or not yet. Obviously, until the information comes out,
0: right. Uh, Moving on to the recruiting aspect of it now, uh, Bulls had a couple uh, announcements this past week. We had a decommitment from Sean Peterson, and then I believe uh, technically it might be, but uh, we had from uh Gerald Jackson who also said opening up recruitment so uh I this is weird because I don't want to say both of these guys were expendable but if you had to if, if I had to pick a couple kids who could be pushed out of the class I would have thought these were guys
1: yeah especially um Kind of Jackson and me because he didn't uh he doesn't have a whole lot of film out or anything from his senior year actually i don't know if he has any highlights out so I'm pretty sure the school is recruiting him in the DB, but he was such an early take and I'm sure he's a talented kid you look at his junior highlights he's six four six three he'll find somewhere to go yeah. but I just don't know if he was the right fit uh for the bulls yeah like you said i thought he i thought he had some uh, he had some potential at a linebacker but I guess his heart is really set on playing running back or staying home or something.
0: Yeah, so from the Peterson situation it seemed like he's he's been really dead set on playing running back now. I think USF took the understanding that he was going to play a linebacker or a defensive end. Uh to be honest, I I think this is a circumstance where USF is kind of in the right. I there's too many athletes in the state of Florida to to take a kid like Peterson at running back when he could be a much better player on the defensive side. And, and from my understanding, the FIU side, they told him he could play running back uh, just to kind of get him in the class. Whether or not that's true or not, it turns out to be. And whether or not Peterson turns out to be a successful running back is remains to be seen. I think with the way USF's recruiting class is shaping up, with a guy like Jerome Ford, uh, with already a guy like Brian Norris in the class, I think that they feel – confident on the remaining running back targets and that if if you know they strike out on Ford possibly they can swing and get a different type of athlete. So, uh, I don't I, I'm not overly concerned with a guy like him jumping off. I think that's I I echo your thoughts on Jackson as well. Um I thought he had a tremendous potential as a safety. There had wasn't really much tape of him playing it concerning. Uh and from the limited that I saw wasn't convincing enough to to kind of make me feel comfortable that he'd be able to really crack the depth chart here. Uh, to pair that with the fact that USF has a guy like uh, Keon Hell in the class, who seems like a really impressive safety. Uh, they have also Roberts in the class, who's another impressive safety. So, And i figure you have Jaymon Thomas for at least another year, I believe. So uh, some, some impressive athletes on the defensive side. Oh, sorry, Devon Matthews, that's his name. Yeah, Devon Matthews, he looks like another uh, an impressive secondary athlete. johan Cherry corner. corner. Uh, you still get to keep guys like Natron Culpepper and all these guys. So I think secondary-wise, I'm not concerned for USF. I'm really not. I think they have a, a, a good amount of depth in that department.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. And flashing back to what you were saying about Peterson and um... – playing running back. Uh, yeah, with Norris committed too, if he's like cuz they I don't think that they look at Norris as another position. You don't really need two power runners like that and cuz like Sean Sean has some speed but he's he's not uh he's not as shifty or like he's he is a power runner and you, I don't think you need two of those in the same class.
0: Right. And and it you have to think about what you already have too. You technically have Travon Sands. You technically have uh, Jordan Cronkright in the fold who they love uh, yeah, he's secondly, and you have uh, Mac as well Elijah Mack, who uh, hasn't really seen the field this year but with maybe with a couple extra bull practices and and, and possibly uh, some summer workouts he can kind of get into the to, into the running back fold uh, and, and to talk about something else to kind of go back to the Gerald Jackson uh, Kendrick terrain. Uh, backed off of his commitment from UCLA, which was kind of a big deal. Like He's a Bulls target. I, I think Josh Newberg posted that while USF likes him, they don't think he's a, a must-have player. Ultimately, though, I, I think he, there's a good shot he ends up with USF just because uh, I, I think his options kind of just point towards USF.
1: Yeah, I agree. But he did uh, – I will give credit that he did have a pretty amazing interception, I think, the other day against Jefferson. It was um, – one of the top plays on huddle of the week. Or something. Oh, really? Yeah, nice one-handed interception in the back of the end zone. He's pretty impressive.
0: At, at, regardless of USF's opinions on him defensively, he's a kid that if he comes to USF, he he can see the field early just because of his size. Like, he's he's almost similar to Kendrick Terrain. Or, sorry, not Kendrick Terrain. That's who we're talking about. Um, Natron Culpepper in the sense that their size gives him an advantage to see the field earlier. You know, USF obviously – uh, they have some corners who are lacking size. A guy like Ronnie Hoggins. you have Mike Hampton, uh, you know, I mean, Mazzy has played amazing. This so uh, I think you, your secondary should be fine. Uh, would still like to see them add some quality. Line- class, Obviously, uh, there's been a development with James Miller that it seems like Miami, uh, is kind of there. They haven't officially offered yet. Uh, Up until Miami getting involved in his recruitment, I thought Miller was kind of a USF lean. Uh, If Miami throws an offer, that kind of takes all bets off the table. Uh, He was down for Miami for their game against Virginia this past weekend. But, you know, for USF, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of handle these few remaining linebacker targets. And one guy that I kind of have circled here is Daquan Jackson, Robert E. Lee. So USF has had a strong pipeline to that school. They landed uh, Demetrius Harris out of there, Kirsten Johnson. And Jackson has two, key, two, yeah, two teammates committed to USF in uh, Vincent Davis and Eugene Bowman. And, and to be quite honest, if I, I think USF has kind of kept Jackson in the back of their minds. But if, let's say, things are beginning to not look sharp as they were for James Miller, I wouldn't be surprised to see if, if Jackson sees a turn-up in the amount of recruitment that he's getting from USF.
1: Yeah, James Miller is probably, I think, is uh, the Bulls' number one guy, linebacker, and he's my my personal number one guy, too. You watch his film, he's an absolute headhunter. He just, like, crushes running backs and quarterbacks. I haven't seen a lot of him in pass coverage, but... Uh, what I've seen of him in against the run is uh pretty damn impressive, but I've also watched Daquan Jackson's film too. And I think that he's also a really gifted linebacker And that if, if Miller does get an offer from Miami or something and say, uh, thinks that he can excel there and goes there. I don't think that Daquan Jackson is a bad second option. I think he's a really, really good linebacker out of Lee.
0: Yeah. And, and it's going to be interesting to see defensively who USF tries to, uh, kind of go with because the guy that early on in the recruiting process, uh, Patrick Keenan, you know, I was, I was personally expecting him to pop by now for USF, but for whatever reason, you know, things may not be where they originally were for USF and Keenan. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of happens with him. I know Illinois is a school that kind of got really involved with him, uh, but for, for the sake of recruiting wise, I, I mean, USF continuing to kind of just ride it out. They've got most of their class committed. Uh, you know, the, the, this, this period coming up between the end of the season, the bowl game, and then once the bowl game is finished, is going to be a really, really big home stretch for USF in terms of recruiting. Uh, it's going to be also during a time when the early signing period is. So it, like we said, it's going to – I don't know, Dakota, did, has anyone, any recruit indicated to you that they're going to be using the early signing period?
1: Uh, no, I've talked to several of the USF commits, every single, like Rashawn Yates, um, I think Vincent Davis and a couple of those guys. And none of them have said that they're going to, uh, Trey Lang too. None of them have said they're going to sign in December. I don't expect, I don't know if honestly, if any of USF's commits are going to sign in December, if they are, I have not talked to them or they have not told me, but so yeah, it's, it's kind of nice though to get those two, uh, two scholarships free, especially, like you mentioned, when the recruiting's about to heat up, maybe they can go out and get some guys that maybe they think would make more of an impact.
0: And uh, I think this weekend we had – USF had a a big visitor in Michael Penix, which was a a, a fresh sight because we know that obviously things with Tennessee are kind of uh, going awry. And it doesn't – and here's the biggest thing with Michael Penix that I kind of stated – he actually is committed to U- to Tennessee because of tight ends coach Larry Scott. Larry Scott, notorious Tampa recruiter, uh, coached at USF at one point, coached at Miami, was the interim coach at Miami, uh, now is at Tennessee. Uh, he had C.J. Cotman committed for a while before they turned him away. Uh, and look, he's, he's a tremendous Tampa recruiter. His job is no longer secure with the sense that they promoted – Uh, Brady Hoke to be the interim which is really surprising because Brady Hoke as an interim sounds really really weird Uh, and and I I thought they would have gone with Scott because they would have given him a chance to possibly go out and win the job but with with him in the fold this is the exact door that we were talking about that opens up for USF to kind of make a move for Michael Penix and Dakota you reported that he was at the game on Saturday which is an encouraging sign
1: yeah, he was. I saw him right on the sideline. He was there talking with uh, Coach King, and I think it was Coach Lindsey Lamar, too, where I chatted up with him. And uh, Quentin, even after he had a senior day introduction, uh, even came up to Michael and gave him his gloves, too, which I thought was pretty neat.
0: Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know how impressive that win was for a guy like Pennix. Um, it, it, it's, it's weird because... If you look at it, Penix has to kind of restart his recruitment, and USF has been there the entire step of the way. So I think USF can maybe finagle their way into landing an official visit. I think it's hard to imagine a guy like Penix not taking visits at this point, especially with the fact that they have another QB already in the class. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Penix moving down the line. Uh, I, I know that USF from the very start has... Made him a huge priority.
1: Yeah, they've been on him since Willie was here. But uh, going back to that Larry Scott thing, that's a that's a huge cog in his recruitment. And like you said, his job security isn't exactly uh, isn't exactly great at Tennessee with Butch, uh, Butch Jones being gone and everything. And I I thought it was also interesting how they didn't name him interim because uh, I mean you're in Miami, wasn't he the interim coach in Miami uh, a couple years ago?
0: I believe he won four out of the final six games that he coached, you know, and and it was a team that to be quite honest was so dejected emotionally because of a lot of that, that happened that season uh, with the defense and how Mark D'Onofrio, who is a horrible defense, defensive coordinator was able to, to, to ruin so many athletes on the defensive side at at UM, he managed to pull out some big wins at Miami and and finish off with an 8-4 Eight and four record. I think they lost the bowl game too. So uh, eight and five. I, I, I was genuinely surprised that they didn't hire him as interim. And if you speak about Larry Scott, a lot of people feel like eventually he was going to land a head coaching job somewhere.
1: I'll tell you what, and I think um, we could we could see Larry Scott. He coached at USF, I think, for about ten years, and I'm pretty sure he's a former player as well. If Charlie were to leave or something, I don't know how shocked I would be to see maybe uh, Mark Harlan give him an interview for the head coaching job, honestly. They need a young guy who can come in and uh, bring some energy, and I think, and he's like you said, he's a tremendous Tampa recruiter. So, I mean, if, God forbid, we're in another coaching church, that search, that could be a name that you could uh, look for.
0: I think last year I named him as a candidate that I thought would fit USF the most in terms of uh, who makes the most sense as the hire. I mean, it's crazy that we have Charlie Strong as a head coach, and we're talking about this. But yeah, like if if things if Strong took an offer to go to UF or to Ole Miss, where he's been rumored, uh, I think uh, Larry Scott would absolutely be on the, the the immediate list of names that could come in for USF. And, and like we said, this is the reality for USF with the constant uh, picking off of group of five coaches. You have to keep your eyes open and. Uh, I, I think, like you said, though, Cog—not uh, Cog—but Scott played a huge role in Penix committing to Tennessee. With him possibly being on the move after the season's over, and I mean, just in general, the season that Tennessee had, I, I think that Pennix, the door is open for Penix to kind of look around now. And uh, I, I, I specifically remember that some of the schools he had been talking to before were like Florida State. Uh, I think Penn State was kind of in there as well. Uh, I think Ohio State had, had kind of watched him throw, but they they weren't technically interested. So I think Penix is going to give some schools a look. I think USF is going to be one of those schools.
1: Yeah, like you said earlier, I could uh, I could see them wiggling their way into an official visit, especially with all the uncertainty going up there in Knoxville. But something I did uh, I did see is that he went to the USF game Thursday night played in his playoff game. They won. I forgot who they beat, uh, or Palmetto, I think they beat. Um, and then the next day, he was up in Knoxville. So that's also something interesting.
0: That is pretty interesting, considering the fact that he – considering the fact of that how awful they've been playing, he actually took the time to go up there and visit. Um, as far as recruiting goes, I think that's basically it, Dakota, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, no, not yet. Uh, all right, but – uh we are doing this podcast on sunday the ucf game is friday hopefully i I think we can actually try to do one more pod before that game we can get a good friend juan terribio on to kind of talk about ucf and uh he can give us his thoughts as well but uh we'll be coming back with another episode appreciate you guys for listening as always and uh tune in next week